We're going to recap both conference championship games. Another amazing week of football. We're going to do it with Mark Schlereth. And I'm going to ask a pretty simple question. Did Burrow kind of do a Stafford in Cincinnati? But Stafford couldn't do it in Detroit. It's not anti-Stafford. Don't worry about it. And life advice. I want to start today's podcast before we get to the football part of it, which we will. Uh, I have an announcement to make. At Sunday, 10.08 a.m. Pacific time, uh, I'd like to announce uh, that yesterday I pulled off a successful 135 incline save. Uh, saw the guy behind me. Just wasn't going to get that last rep. Me and another guy ran over and grabbed the bar off of him. And uh, both lifter and spotter are safe. So incline can get a little weird for guys that haven't done a lot. And it's it's hard. It's just hard. So am I a hero? I'd like to think anybody would have, you know, right time, right place, right time. Anybody else would have done the same thing. So I want to start with that. Okay. Um, moving forward. I don't know what happened to me this weekend, but I, I kind of feel like I fell in love with football all over again. Uh, I'll have to admit over the, the peak is football doomed future uh, radio that we had going on. I don't know, four or five years ago or something. Um, I remember one guy in particular saying that he felt complicit in his uh, viewing. Like it was such a nasty, nasty version. Does football have a future? And I would constantly say, I don't know. Have you been to the South? Have you been to Texas? I've done have said that a hundred times, but I just, it was never true. Like, sorry, sorry, Cambridge isn't super locked into the SEC. Um, but this was another example, not only last weekend, which may have been one of the best postseason weekends that we've ever seen. I mean, these two games were unbelievable on top of everything that was at stake for the stories, you know, the legacy of whatever is real or what isn't. But you know, I don't know what it was like. I had just had a moment during the Cincinnati game against Kansas City and having Cincinnati come back and win that game. I'm just going, this is this is happening. Like, this is so much fun. I'm having so much fun wondering if Cincinnati's going to go ahead and pull this game off. It's almost like I imagine, you know, those of you that are married, right? You know, you're kind of like the kids are in the back, wife's riding shotgun, maybe you're at a stoplight or something. You know, you've been together, you've known each other a decade plus, and you've had your ups and downs, and it's tough, man. Relationships are tough. I get it. And you see the sun just hits her right, and it's a profile, and you kind of look at her and you fall in love all over again, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. Uh, that's what it was like for football this weekend. I love the conference championship weekend the most um, because there's just so much at stake. And there is something weird. It's almost Final Four-ish where, yeah, you want your team to win an entire national championship, but there just feels like something about winning your region and then getting to the Final Four and then you say, hey, you know, we made it to the Final Four, even though you could be staring down a disappointing loss or maybe even a bigger loss in the national championship game. But I've always felt like the Super Bowl has a little bit more to that uh, beyond making the World Series, beyond the Stanley Cup Final or even the NBA Finals. But some Something about, hey, we're in the Super Bowl and now the buildup in these entire two weeks. So let's kind of go over just a bunch of observations in the entire weekend and kind of what I want to hammer on. Because Cincinnati, remember the bad month thing that we talked about? And that was certainly the case of the Rams in November. What the hell is going on? What happened to Stafford? And Stafford is, I would say, a tier one. Does this guy suck or is he awesome QB? And it's hard to pull that off for an entire decade, but Stafford has somehow done that. So we'll get back to him a little bit later. But the Rams had that really bad month in November. You want to talk bad month? Think about Cincinnati now, your AFC representative in the Super Bowl. You realize they went 10 and 7, right? <laughs> like it's kind of easy to forget. You're like, wait, this team went 10 and 7? Uh, yes, they did. You want to, dude, from October 31st to December 12th, they lost four of six games with a bye week in there. They lost in back to back weeks 
They lost to the Jets, which was kind of a weird, fluky thing. They got hit with a bad call, but they still lost to the Jets. And then they lost to Cleveland 41-16. to And you're watching that going, yeah, I really like this team. Because I think this podcast is very, uh, is very, I don't know, pro-Bengals, Bengals-friendly. Uh, there were moments when they were the AFC one seed early on. I'm like, hey, have you watched this team at all? But they weren't like awesome. It was really the Burrow chase thing with a couple other things. You know, the receiving game in general is really um, the depth. Um, Uzama, tight end, we'll get to him a little bit. Higgins, you know, there was obviously some depth there as well, mixing running back and all these things. So we liked some of the skill guys, but we didn't like the offensive line. We didn't like the defense. We didn't like any of these things. So it's hard to talk yourself in and be like, you know what? That's the team. But maybe that was the whole point. As we talked about last week, toughness, fighting, keep fighting, keep fighting. Cincinnati was the epitome of that this season and in this game yesterday. Maybe when you get your ass kicked all season long and when you go 10-7, and seven, when you're down 21-3 at Arrowhead, maybe you are built for this. And maybe that's exactly what Joe Burrow is, whether we saw it in college or we've seen it in his two years. Everything was hard for Cincinnati in that first half. They had four possessions. And then you think, hey, is this actually good because they scored on two of the four possessions? The P. Ryan... Uh, catch and run into the end zone. That'll be a kind of local play, depending on what happens to the Super Bowl. But either way, like Bengals fans will remember that P. Ryan touchdown changing things to make it 21-10, probably as much as any single play from that game. Maybe it's McPherson's kicks throughout the playoff, and that guy's been just ice the entire time. But that play, because when you're down 21-3 and you're Cincinnati with that defense and the lack of protection that you have for Burrow, who as great as he is, it's clear that they had prioritized shutting down Chase, keeping a second guy with him, not letting him get single coverage as much, although we saw it in that those end zone plays where he ended up with a touchdown. And I'm not going to kind of do the Sorensen where's his help inside, outside thing because I'm not even sure that I'm right. I don't bore everybody to death. But um, that that kind of was just one of those parts of, of the entire year where I'm going, all right, so what do we know about guys getting sacked 50-plus times? They don't make it to the Super Bowl. Burrow now, who was sacked 51 times in the regular season, is the first quarterback to lead the league in sacks taken and actually make it to a Super Bowl. So we know this. Cincinnati is incredibly tough because of all the adversity they faced all season long because they actually lost a ton of games. Um I don't think they were better than Kansas City or Buffalo throughout, but I also didn't think they were like the sixth best team in the AFC this entire time, despite the record. And maybe that's what we're all looking for here. That, you know, when you look at the Burrow impact of this, and I was trying to think of an NBA comp, because trust me, when Kansas City was up 21-3, I had a Mahomes, Steph Curry uh, comp ready to go. That was going to be the open. You know, hey, we worried about Mahomes. You know, here we go. It's kind of like people that are sending me Steph Curry's field goal percentage below Russell Westbrook's. And I'm like, yeah, okay, it is. Now what? Now what do you want me to do with this information? Do you want me to tell you one guy's a better shooter than the other? Because I'm just never going to worry about Steph. And honestly, I'm not going to worry about Mahomes, even though he was bad in the second half. But going back into next year, Kansas City's going to win double-digit games. They're going to be in play for the AFC. But in this game in particular, Mahomes was pretty bad uh, in the second half. After they had scored three straight touchdowns and converted, I think, every, every third down on those first few possessions. If they kick a field goal at the end of the first half, you know, maybe we're talking about Kansas City in this matchup. Uh, I'm not sure. You never know how one score is going to relate to the next one. The pick to Bell, where he threw it a double co- double coverage late to turn this game, and then Cincinnati goes and kicks the field goal. Uh, that interception ended up in Bell's hands. He didn't even realize it was in his hands as it was happening, but it was an incredible tip ball back to the other corner. Bell hangs on to it, and then Cincinnati's headed to the Super Bowl. But back to the Burrow part of this, um, you know, we're always looking for the quarterback to change things. I guess we could argue that we've actually had a little bit more Burrow than than we think. 
but then I could probably argue against every one of those scenarios. Mahomes in his second season as a starter, remember he had that red shirt year essentially behind Alex Smith, he ended up in a Super Bowl, much like Burrow, who again was the first pick, not Mahomes' the 10th pick, but Burrow's doing it with a franchise that does not have the history of Kansas City. It actually has one of the worst recent histories or maybe all-time histories when we're talking about NFL franchise. Not the single worst, but they're in that group of, yeah, this is not a program I usually expect to be doing big things. Um, Kansas City's was was just it was it was already a much better team and we saw that when Alex Smith was there. So that's not really the same thing. Goff made it in his third year as a starter, but if we take away the Jeff Fisher year, so if you go in real years with Sean McVay, Goff made it. Um, but he's not Burrow. And as we saw, the Rams moved on from him. I think we also have an example in Josh Allen, but you know, this is his fourth year in. He very well could have been in the Super Bowl um this year. He's gonna be in one, I would imagine. I love that Bills team for the most part. But he's not there, and Burrow is. So I don't really know that there's like an NBA comp that's perfect to say, okay, what's the number one overall pick that comes in, and now all of a sudden you're 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 playing for a championship here this soon. I mean, even LeBron couldn't do that kind of stuff. But what we really have – oh, by the way, I saw that one tweet that Taylor Rooks had that I thought was kind of interesting as we try to figure out, like, how did we – you know, is Burrow it? Really what it feels like is do you have a certain look and do you win games. Can you imagine if Baker Mayfield wore an iced-out Nike symbol and then was like, hey, I make too much money for these to be fake? We'd kill him. But at the same time, if Baker did it while he was on his way to the Super Bowl, then we would probably like it because that's all we're really doing here. So the it factor feels real with Burrow, but a lot of it is do you win and do you have a certain look? Taylor Rooks had this tweet. She said, quote, Joe Burrow told me if he went into an NBA game, he could get at least 12 to 15 points with a straight face. And I knew he was going to be great because that is just irrational confidence. That's an awesome story. And maybe it's true. Maybe it's part of it. I also think if you asked half the NFL quarterbacks, they'd probably say the same thing. And if you asked 100 corners, 95 of them would say they would. If the, if the standard is, do you think you would get points in an NBA game today and you'd be a good quarterback, then my dad should be playing week one in 2022 somewhere. But what we do know as we look at the Rams coming back against San Francisco, which felt like they still were the better team, and it was going to turn out to be another classic Jimmy G win. We were like, wait, this guy's in the Super Bowl again? <laughs> and to think how I felt about Stafford, who was just not supported enough, right? He just wasn't supported enough in Detroit. That's it. Look at it. I'm not telling you Stafford's always been a top five quarterback, but the way the swings, the variance of what we've thought about Stafford publicly, where I've always liked him, and I haven't liked Jimmy G. And Garoppolo looks like he's a possession away from actually getting back to another time. Like, I can't believe this is happening again. Uh, you could argue the Rams pissed away 7 to 14 points in there. The first pick in the end zone actually was a little on Stafford. It was behind the receiver, gets tipped. You, know, you come away with zero points. You missed the field goal on top of that, everything else. There's just a bunch of stuff in there. Um, Tart drops the pick, which... You know, look, that was like eight or nine minutes left in the game. So there's still a lot of football to play. So I don't know that it was completely sealed that way with the way that's kind of been talked about after the fact with San Francisco dropping that interception. But here's here's kind of like a good way to tie it all together. Stafford just didn't have defensive support. They couldn't run the football. Special teams was terrible. Sandoz broken all this stuff down from the athletic in the past. Basically, Detroit's other units other than offense were always almost bottom third in the league for Stafford's entire tenure in Detroit. And he couldn't do it on his own. Most guys can't. Very few can. Stafford couldn't. He didn't have any success. And if you liked him and you argued him up, you could have a week where you looked right. And if you hated him and you said, this guy sucks, he's overrated, you can't get it. There would be plenty of weeks where bad stuff would happen too. Like we mentioned with November, where you'd feel right about it too. That's the whole quarterback game. But what Burrow did is kind of what Stafford couldn't do. 
Think about it. Burrow's defense with Cincinnati is not good. They're 19th overall in DVOA. Their weighted defense is even worse than that. They gave up the seventh most yards this season. And they don't really run the football all that well. They're seventh worst in yards per carry. So Burrow kind of did in this season a carry the team in a way the top five guys do, which is not a knock on Stafford that I'm not saying he's not a top five guy, but basically Burrow did with his team the kind of stuff Stafford couldn't and now finally is in a, in a Super Bowl with a team that has a lot more, a lot more around him. So we saw it work for Stafford, him moving on and going somewhere else. And of course, you know, the news this weekend that Brady was going to retire. I just want to touch on it real quick. Um, it is a little weird that the story comes out and it seems like Brady either is refuting it or just didn't want somebody else to report it. And all I can, all I can say, I think the, the biggest thing is my buddies were texting me about the whole thing. We've had Darlington on this podcast. Darlington's timeline with Brady is pretty much impeccable. Um, he was the guy out there on GetUp saying, hey, I think Brady leaves New England. I think before anybody else. So he has an in, and Darlington's even sh- shared this with us. He has an in with the Brady crew. Um, so somebody clearly told him Brady was retiring, and then I think they kind of do a Schefter stamp of approval. Like, hey, it's even more real if Schefter says he's part of it. Maybe Schefter does some digging as well. Um, I don't know all the the moving parts of all of that stuff. But I know people think that Guys in the media make this stuff up. They don't. Somebody had to have told him this, and his track record is really good. But Brady saying, hey, I haven't made a decision yet is kind of funny because now I think people are rooting for Brady to come back and play because they want the media guys to be to be wrong about this. So I'm not guaranteeing you a Brady retirement. I'm just telling you for Darlington to feel comfortable enough to start the process of this becoming the biggest story just besides the games. Uh, the biggest news story of the season. Somebody told him. Somebody told him that's very close, that he trusts, that's probably given him great Brady information before in the past that he's also been right about. So we'll see what happens. Great to catch up with a guy I got to know back in the ESPN days. I think he's terrific. He's with Fox now, and he's happy, and he's doing games all the time. And uh, he's won a few Super Bowls as well. So Marshall Laird joins us. What's up, dude? Dude, it is good to see you, Ryan, man. Always uh, always a pleasure to be on with you and uh, always been a big fan, so I appreciate you. Yeah, I don't know that people, they think you're serious, but uh, you are so dry and one of the funniest dudes I ever got a chance to work with, so it's always good to catch up. And you worked with Trey Wingo, so that's a huge compliment yeah. on the humor thing. Yes. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, so what changed? What changed in your eyes at Arrowhead? How did that go from like domination and, and off-season questions to now off-season questions for the team that's supposed to be a lot better? Yeah, how about, I mean, how about, you know, it comes down to, I think this whole playoffs uh, has been more about uh, more games are lost than won. And you go back to Buffalo at the last 13 seconds, the mismanagement of that, the last 13 seconds of that game, to right before halftime, first and foremost, you call a timeout and then you challenge the, the you know, then you challenge that first down, whether or not it was. So you, you didn't have a timeout there at the end of that, at the end of that half to actually, you know, line up and kick a field goal. And the mismanagement of the last couple of seconds of that first half by the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, for Patrick Mahomes, it's like, hey, man, you throw it in the end zone, it's either an incompletion or a touchdown, and we're going to, you know, we're going to kick a field goal. 
And to, to throw that swing pass off the jet sweep to Tyree Hill, it just doesn't make any sense, any sense whatsoever, why you would do that. And it's almost as though they never really came back. I'd love to give, you know, the, the Cincinnati Bengals all the credit in the world. And I think they tightened up their coverage a little bit. And they had some, you know, rush three, drop eight scenarios that, uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes just couldn't find an open receiver, actually took a sack down there, um, you know, toward the uh, goal line. So, yeah, but but most of it to me was more about, the inefficiency of Kansas city and just the essential choke job of the Kansas city chiefs. Um, that's that, that to me was more than anything. you're averaging six yards of carry rushing the football and you decide you're just not going to run it. I mean, isn't that, isn't that the, the football hubris that cost them the Super Bowl the year before it seemed like with a depleted offensive line. So I, that just seems to be the way they, they, I almost feel like Kansas city says we're going to win games the way we want to win games. Not the way you allow us to win games, but the way we want to win games. And I think the last two seasons ended in a situation where you weren't allowed to win the game the way you wanted to win the game, and it cost you the game. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy because like it looked like, hey, all right, they've got the underneath stuff. It's there all day. You know, they even talked on the broadcast, which I thought they did a good job on this part, which was like, you know, they're putting Hill in these crossers. Like, okay, you're Mm -hmm. never going to let him get over the top. Fine, we're going to put him in these crosses. Now you have to keep up with him. And it felt like, oh, Cincinnati, this is the game plan because everybody hated what they were doing, right? I mean, that game was over. It felt 20 minutes in. So is it that simple? Because even on the sweep at the end of the half, I mean, the pass, it wasn't like a cross sweep or something. Even Zach Taylor and the staff after the fact had said, we actually kind of planned for something like this. And so we had an extra defender over there. And, you know, Eli Apple's kind of credited with it. But basically, that just whole area was shut off. Is it as simple? Like, did you just see, oh, there's a minor adjustment here. They're going to take this part of it away. And then Kansas City just decides it's whatever. We're, we're never we're never deviating from this. That's basically what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I thought it was interesting because Tony Romo did a good job earlier in that game talking about, Early. you know, here's where. Here's where, yeah, here's where Patrick Mahomes has, you know, has really matured. You know, his getting through progressions and seeing a high-low combination route in the middle of the football field and not liking either, and then dumping it off to the back with the back's ability to, you know, to catch the ball and get seven, eight yards. I mean, I thought I thought they were dominating that football game on first down. They were always in second down and, and five minus, second down and four, second down and three. Um, Jerick McKinnon is, is averaging six yards a carry. Uh, you know, Hilaire is averaging six yards a carry, five, five a carry or whatever it was. And, and yet you're always in a second down and manageable situation. And, and, and you have to understand when you play offense and you're always in second down and four minus, like everything is open to you. Like, like it, it still allows you the ability to either throw it on second down and still have running the football as an option on third down. And so what ends up happening to you is you make you make the defense have to play the entirety of the field and the entirety of your playbook. And there is nothing better than that feeling of winning on uh, on first down. You know, people always talk about, hey, you, uh, you know, third down being the most important down. I've always felt like first down is the most important down. If we can get good yardage on first down, it keeps everything in our playbook open to us as an offense. And I thought that was the whole first half. I mean, they dominated that game on first down, and then they blow it at the end of the first half. They come back with a chance. You know, you've got that double-up chance. You blow it at the end of the first half, and then you come out and you run, what, six plays, and you have to punt. 
And, you know, and from that point forward, they just seemed out of sync. But I saw a lot of plays where you've got something early in the progression where you could you could hit a shallow cross. And, you know, if they tackle it right away, it's still a four or five yard gain and you're on schedule. If they don't tackle it, if you break a tackle, it's another first down. And Patrick Mahomes is like, no, nah, I don't want to take it now. Now I want to push the ball down the field. Now I want to get something explosive. Now I want to make a big play. And um, and that just felt like the way the whole second half went for the Kansas City Chiefs. Trent Dilfer has a saying, saying about quarterbacks he calls like a guy a dude, right? And it's, it's not mm-hmm. a book, you know, there's no dictionary definition of it. It's just we kind of all know it when we see it. And uh, for anybody that watched Burrow in college, you know, that last year, you're like, all right, this guy's like a superhero. And then we see it throughout, especially considering how much he gets knocked around. Uh, what's that like? Because I know, like, not only Elway, you had Rippon in the Super Bowl, but what's mm-hmm. what's it like when you're on a team where you go, we got a guy with a cape on here on the sideline? Yeah, it's like I always said, you know, when you walk, when, when Elway walked in the huddle, regardless of what the situation was, you're just like, you know, it's almost like we got him right where we want him. And there was never a sense of, of panic or dread or fear. It was always like, all right, let's go to work. And there was always that confidence that a dude like that, that brings, you know, I, I was like, Joe Burrow is all balls, man. He just is like walks in there. And how many times did the Kansas city defense have him dead to rights, have him sacked and somehow he wiggles out of it scrambles around either takes it for a first down with his feet or throws a ball for a first down i mean they had him dead to rights three or four times where he said like to me he saved that game and we can talk about the defense but joe burrow saved that that game by avoiding a sack somehow miraculously and scrambling around and creating first downs and giving his offense another opportunity in that second half to where I just thought Kansas City, I mean, they let that opportunity, as bad as the offense was, the defense in critical situations couldn't make plays on Burrow. And, I mean, it must have been three or four times where he single-handedly kind of saved the game by avoiding a sack, scrambling around, and making a play. And that is, I mean, that when you have that guy uh, behind your offensive line, that guy that you have that kind of faith in, uh, he just brings everybody's confidence level up. And... That's, you know, that, that to me is, that to me is what Joe Burrow has brought to this Cincinnati Bengals team that frankly, like, you know, have I been a believer? No. Won two games and they won four games and then, you know, up and down season where they won a bunch, but they lost some games and you're looking at them going, Hey man, really nice story, unbelievable weapons, but, but do they have kind of the staying power to compete with the big boys? Well, they knocked off the number one seed. They knocked off the number two seed. Uh, Joe Burrow's over 50 sacks on the season and is yet going to represent uh, the AFC and the today Bengals will represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. It's a crazy story. Is this the first time the offensive line would buy the quarterback a watch? At the end of the year? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it should be, right? And and by the, by the way, I mean, you want to talk about cleaning things up. Now, I know they gave up some pressures. I know they gave up some hits, and I know he avoided a couple of sacks. but after what happened in Tennessee, I mean, that was a debacle. You know, in 1991, you mentioned Rippon earlier. Well, I had this 30-year reunion of Super Bowl 26 a couple of uh, last week. And it was Joe Gibbs. It was Charlie Cashley. It was about 20 of us on this Zoom call. 
And it was awesome just kind of reminiscing about that season and listening to Joe Gibbs talk about um, the game, the weekends, the, the weekends game and about uh, about Joe Burrow getting sacked nine times in 1991 through 19 games, 19 games. We gave up a total of nine sacks and, you know, Rippon couldn't run. I mean, Rippon couldn't run to save his life. Rippon is his he's going to be in one place stationary. Nine sacks in 19 games. They gave up nine sacks in an AFC divisional playoff game and still somehow found a way to win. It, I, I, mean, I just can't, I can't fathom that. I can't fathom having that lack of protection. And I'll have to tip my cap to Cincinnati because they actually cleaned it up pretty well against a, um, you know, a chief squad that's pretty formidable when it comes to rushing the quarterback. So um, they, not that they were great, but they were much improved from one week to the next. Yeah. No, it felt like on a couple of those plays, you kind of break in the huddle. And you see a guy be like, just please give me, I need this much time and, and I'll get it out. Like it doesn't have to be perfect, right. but just, just help me get the ball out here. And I think Joe over the course of the season, cause he's so tough you know, he's going to hang on to it a little bit longer. So some of those numbers, I, I love that stat though, by the way, that's a perfect segue into kind of before I get to some of the Ram stuff and Stafford, which we'll close with uh-huh. maybe a little matchup thing. When you were going into your first Super Bowl against Buffalo, right? That's 91. Yeah. Because um, I think it plays well for somebody like you that ends up you know, winning a couple later on with Denver. Where was your head at game plan wise? Like, Did anything surprise you? Did Buffalo come out and you go, oh, wait a minute, we didn't expect this. I mean, you ended up putting them on them. It was a slow start to that game. But was there anything you remember specifically like game plan matchup that you go, oh, this is not what I expected. No, I, I think that what we, what we, you know, prepared for is exactly what we got. Um, and, and, you know, from a coaching standpoint, and it's all about players, you know, you got to have great players and the players have to perform, but coaches have to put them in a position to win. Right. Like I always, I always think to, to myself when it comes to game planning, like don't put in a, a a player in a position to fail and then act surprised when that player fails. Like the best coaches that I talk to on a week to week basis, Ryan are really, um, Hey man, I want to attack whatever it is I want to attack. Right. I, I want, I see this weakness. I see this weakness in their, you know, over defense or their under defense. We want to attack the bubble, whatever it is like this corner is not very good. This safety, you know, bites on play action, whatever it is. But I think the best coaches understand the things that they want to attack but first and foremost they have to mitigate their own weakness and so they will never attack something if it means exposing a weakness and the best coaches understand that and they say hey listen i know i'd like to attack that but we can't hold up at the right tackle position so i'm not going to do that and those to me you know are the are the best coaches. And so every Super Bowl that I played in, um, there was nothing that was surprising. I mean, I could go through game plan after game plan after game plan with you. Um, for instance, you know, Super Bowl 32, Mike Shanahan put on film of how the Green Bay Packers in a certain formation played on offense. And so anytime you got into a slot formation, so we played a lot of base fronts, you know, 21 personnel, two backs, uh, one tight end. So anytime you got into, let's call it strong right, so strong right would be tailback, fullback on the strong side, and then a tight end on that side, strong right slot. 
X and Z on the opposite side. So anytime you got into that formation or a variation of that slot formation, the weak side linebacker, the will in this case, would basically remove himself from the box. And then Leroy Butler, their safety, would slowly creep in and he would actually exchange responsibilities. A guy by the name of, I think it was, uh, I think it was Williams was the weak side linebacker. So Williams would basically get outside of where he was supposed to be and he would get depth and he would actually kind of become the safety. And the safety, once he read run, would replace him as the will linebacker. And you, Mike Shanahan put on film before the game and we watched one play after the next play, after the next play of everybody chasing the will linebacker on the backside, the offensive line, the guard and the tackle in combination. And here comes Leroy Butler making one tackle after the next tackle, after the next tackle in the backfield. And so we said, hey, man, anytime we get in this formation, forget the weak side linebacker. I think his name was Brian Williams. Forget Williams and take your scoop block, which is tackle guard to that backside linebacker and turn it into convert it into make a Leroy Butler, the will linebacker. And the very first play, man, we get into it. Boom, we get in the slot. Here they go. You can see the weak side linebacker kick out and like two by two outside the tackle, two yards deeper, two yards further outside. And you're like, oh, here he comes. Here comes the here comes the safety. When we exchange the scoop, man, hit the safety right in the mouth. Boom. Terrell Davis, 15 yards. And we're like, we are going to eat these guys alive. We are going to crush them in the running game. And I tell you what, that's all. I mean, literally, it's all we did. You know, I mean, obviously, there's some variations here and there, but that's basically all we did. We got in that formation and let them kill themselves. They never adjusted. And every every game that I ever played in, obviously, the players have to execute. But you put a game plan together, and there is such, I mean, there is such confidence. When you have a game plan together like that, and you walk out and you're like, oh, these dumbasses, here they go again. Can you not see? We're just going to eat your lunch and like every coaching staff I had put game plans together like that, that, that created victories. I, I started by telling you about that reunion, you know, Joe Gibbs, we went back to these training camp practices and then we didn't game plan until we got to the Super Bowl site in Minnesota on Wednesday. And we are just killing each other, full padded practices, just destroying each other. And John Madden comes to our Thursday practice and like we are like we're at fights at practice like we're Brian Mitchell is dog cussing as a as a our, our you know as our scout team running back he's running into our defense and just crushing dudes you know and there I mean it's fisticuffs it's crazy like how we're how we're battling each other on a Thursday practice and Joe Gibbs is standing back John Madden is watching practice and he's got the rest of the crew there and he turns to his crew and says the Buffalo Bills don't have a chance in this game just by watching us practice. He's like, they don't have a chance. And, you know, sure enough, we just absolutely crushed them. I mean, they, they, the score became, it was 30, at one point, I think it was 34, 37-24 was the final score. But late in the game, it was 37-10 or something. I mean, we just absolutely dismantled them. I think it's the only Super Bowl team in history with a top five defense, top five special teams, and a top five offense. Um, probably the one of the greatest Super Bowl teams in the history of the Super Bowl. 
Yeah, because you were you're a seven point favorite. That's a lot. I mean, we look at this matchup: Rams, Bengals. It's it's three and a half, four. So you know, right. I mean, we can we can talk about a scenarios here. But you were supposed to win that game. The first Green Bay one with Denver, you were dogs. I remember I was in. I'll never forget where I was for that game. I bought into the defensive line outweighs the Denver offensive line, the Gilbert Brown mm-hmm. stuff. I, I a total yeah. sucker bet. And then very early on, I was like, I've made a huge mistake. Um, people loved what Green Bay's front was against what was thought, oh, these are smaller, they're more athletic and all this kind of stuff. So you guys kind of, you knew in film or you knew out in the field against Green Bay, which, you know, historically is looked back on as an upset, but just your tone, you can be confident, but did you guys know? Like, were the the defensive line guys like complaining about it because you just wore them out? Yeah, I I think there was, I think there's a couple of different things that happened. In 1996, we went to Green Bay and got run out of the building and we were the number one seed. And it was like a 42 to seven, just ass whipping that we took up there. But we went up there. Terrell Davis was out. It was, we, we'd already locked up the number one seat overall in the AFC. So Zimmerman didn't play. I, I played, but I was just coming off the week before a knee surgery. Um, so Gary Zimmerman, our starting tackle, didn't play. Um, Elway didn't play. Bill Musgrave started for us. Uh, Terrell Davis didn't play. We probably had, four or five guys on the defensive side of the ball. And like, we just, we just sat pretty much everybody. And, um, and they, they throttled us in that game. Well, you know, we walked into that Super Bowl going, you guys, like you guys didn't really play us. Don't think that that game is indicative of who we were. So I think there was that part of it. There was also something they did that, that was almost pregame that we felt, a sign of disrespect. They had a rotational defensive lineman um, that they chose not to dress. He was kind of a special teams rotational guy that they chose pregame not to dress. And, you know, you have to understand when you play in a cold weather city, by the time you get to the end of the season, you're not in shape anymore. The D line ain't in shape. The O line ain't in shape. Like you get, you get your winter layer of fat on, right? And now all of a sudden you go to a warm weather place it's a it's a problem, man. It's a problem playing in that. So we were in San Diego for that Super Bowl, you know, and it's the it kickoff, man. It was warm. Um, you know, the sun hadn't gone down yet. They probably kicked it off at four o'clock in the afternoon. It was still warm. And to us, it was a sign of disrespect. Like you guys are you are you're buying into the hype that you guys are that big and like we'll run against the Russian army. I I don't care who you are. Like like, like that. That whole size thing is mythology to me because it's it's all about technique. It's all about leverage. I don't care how big you are. If I create leverage on you, I'm going to move you. Um, and, and even if you're 40 pounds heavier than me, that doesn't matter. If I play with better leverage than you, and leverage is a technique thing. Like leverage isn't – like I always, I always laughed at coaches that were like, hey, man, uh, you got to stay lower. Like, you know, two guys that are both six foot three or six foot four are going to come off the ball and one guy's going to be a foot lower than the other guy. That's not how leverage works. You're going to come off and you're going to hit helmets. You know I mean? You're going to hit at about the same level. It's leverage is created through technique, through feet, ankles, knees, hips being aligned. And then ultimately through being able to sink your hips and then strike a dude on an upward plane and lift him through the ceiling. Like that to me, through the top of the stadium. So now as we hit this way, one dude is doing this and the other guy is whoop, and now all of a sudden you're lower. 
And that's all a technique thing. That's all something that can be taught, that can be learned, um, that has to be worked on on a day-to-day basis. And so the, being 40 pounds heavier doesn't, I don't, it doesn't mean anything to me. It's like, you know, it's like, like 40 times. We get all enamored by 40 times. Um, 40 times means you can run fast. Like, the, the, hey, how many times did he bench 225? All that means is you're good at benching if you do it a lot. Well, I mean, there's still some value. Yeah, well, I mean, you you have some strength, but I I tell you what, go look at the top 10 bench presses at the combine. None of those guys are worth a crap. You know, go look at the top 10 40 times at the combine. There's maybe one or two guys that that were worth their salt. Uh, It's it's about being a football player. And so that the whole size thing to us was like, you know, we, we run it against everybody. We'll run it against them like we have everybody else. Okay, so that's a good segue, though, into what is a, a dominant defensive line here for the Rams. Uh, maybe it's not talked mm-hmm. about because of the, the depth, um, but I still think, you know, you throw in Vaughn Miller on top of everything else you're doing, and Asian yeah. Robinson, I don't think gets a lot of love, and then it all kind of focuses around Donald because you have to keep, like, two with him the entire time. How is Cincinnati going to deal with this? Yeah, they're they are they're a problem, man. They they really are, and um, and you always have to have a plan. You talk about you know, speaking of size, Aaron Donald is six foot two, and I bet you he didn't weigh two eighty right now. Um, you know, which for a normal person walking the streets is a really big man in the NFL. Like when you see him, when you're calling a game and you're down there pregame, Aaron Donald is tiny, like tiny compared to the rest of the guys in the trenches. It's like shockingly small. Like you're like, that's Aaron freaking Donald. But dude, the guy is like, have you been tuna fishing? Like the tuna is like, you, you finally reel a tuna up. It's like a 30 pound tuna and you're going and going and going and you get it up and it sees you and its eyes are looking at you through the water and just goes right back down. Like it's so, it's just one solid muscle. That's Aaron Donald. He's just a muscle from head to toe. And, um, his ability to play with leverage and speed and quickness is unmatched. And then you put Leonard Floyd on one side, you put Von Miller on the other side. You talked about Ashawn Robinson on the inside. Uh, and what's the other kid's name? Gaines. Long, who's a, right. Yeah, Gaines. Gaines, right. He's a good player. Uh, yeah, I, I just like, like, that's an issue, man. And you can't double team each guy every time. So then it comes down to me is, how do you game plan stuff, right? How, how do you go about making sure that we, like we talked about earlier in this podcast, mitigating disaster? And so then it comes down to how many you know, bubble screens, how many quick, like how many bubble screens, how many swing passes, how many times do we get the ball out on a three-step drop? It's out right now. How many times can we drop on a five-step drop um, and, and, and five-step drops with no hitches? So like a lot of a lot of five step drops, you hit that fifth step and you you read that first one and then boom you hitch up and then you get to the second one and boom if that's not open you hitch up and you get to your check down right like there are some five step drops that have zero hitches it's five step and just release five step and go like so how many times can we do that so I can be aggressive as an offensive lineman and attack that line of scrimmage and and mitigate the potential of pass rush so even if we throw it thirty times. Can I get down the number of, of real pass protection reps? Can I get that down to 12 or 15? And then I have to try to survive those 12 or 15. Like, that's how you have to approach the LA Rams. Because if you think you're going to drop back 35 times and 
20, 25 of those times are, are real pass protection reps, you're going to get beat. Yeah, I mean, you'll get crushed. So it's it's a mixture of running the ball, run action, play action with the boot keep stuff, play action where it's six or seven man protections, where you're trying to get double teams. You know, you're trying to get a double team four hands on Aaron Donald. You're trying to get four hands on Vaughn Miller. You know, you're chipping on one side to to um, Leonard Floyd, and then you're getting a re- late release out. Like those are the things you have to think about when it comes to protection, especially against a team like the Rams, because. If you think you're just going to roll out there and go, hey, we just got to hold up on this one, you'll lose. I remember back in the day, you know, Van Pelt and I and and all this stuff, we'd just be going through all the quarterbacks. And I, you know, was always a Stafford defender. There were some tough years in there as a defender. Um, I don't necessarily feel like I'm justified in all of it now because the guy's playing in the Super Bowl. I just always thought he was pretty good. But you were always a little more critical, but your your criticism was specific. You weren't just like, oh, he lost this week. The guy sucks. Oh, he won. Did you feel, remind me here, because I'm, I'm going back a bit, yeah. but I, I think it was that you realized how good he was. You just felt like when things got tough, he just kind of got loose, a little too loose with his approach. Right. Is, is, that, is yeah. that fair? And how do you feel about it now? Yeah, well, I've always, I've always thought that he was an elite-level quarterback that ultimately, and I think part of the criticism is, and I've talked to him about it, being, being, loose mechanically being loose when he didn't need to be loose you know like not having not relying on footwork or not relying on mechanics just relying on arm talent and relying on the ability and so that was always that was always part of his deal and and, you know and he and i have talked about that you know one-on-one just about how i had you know like he's he said man i i wanted to clean things up i looked at it and said man i'm much more efficient um you know, I'm much more efficient when I use proper mechanics, like, and especially being a shotgun quarterback, this is what happens to a lot of the kids that come out of college. Now you're always in shotgun. And so your feet don't necessarily tie, um, with the throws that you're making. And this is one of the big adjustments that college quarterbacks have coming into the national football league, because every route and every route combination is tied to your footwork. So if you're talking about West coast offense, your feet, basically throw the ball for you. So when you hurt when you hit a certain point in your drop, that's where that first, you know, reading your progression is got to be triggered. And when you're lazy with that stuff, especially in shotgun, because everybody's kind of lazy with it because you just take the ball and you're just waiting. And it's almost becoming a sight thrower. And I, I tell you, one of the guys who's kind of quote unquote considered the godfather of mechanics in shotgun is Matt Ryan. And he'll tell you, um, he'll tell all his receivers, you better come out of this break on time because I will be on time with football. I will be on time with my footwork. And if you're not, then that's on you as a receiver. That's not on me. And so I think that was one of the issues with Matthew Stafford. And I think the other issue was I've always felt like he's, I mean, I go back to my first game I ever called him Matthew Stafford in 2017, where I called it like he's an elite quarterback that plays on a team that I don't think is elite. And so I think one of the things that happens to you, even though you have like you've had good wide receivers, right? You you have invested um, in in that position. But the bottom line is when you don't have the rest of your team, you can't run the ball. You can't take pressure off the quarterback that way. You're not playing great defense. What ends up happening to you is there comes a time in every game where you have to throw it into a team meeting. You're just like, hey, man, if I don't make a play here, then we're going to lose. So now you're taking un, 
unwarranted risks with the football. You're just taking risks with the football um, that you probably shouldn't, but that's what you have to do to win when you play in Detroit. And I think there are bad habits that develop over time because you always just rely on arm talent. You always rely on hero ball instead of letting, you know, letting the offense and letting the scheme win for you. So like I, I talked to Aaron Rodgers a year ago about this. It was really interesting leaving kind of the Mike McCarthy West Coast offense and then going into the Matt LaFleur West Coast offense. And his deal was, you know, Mike McCarthy's all about what's your best matchup, attack your best matchup, first down, second down, third down. Whereas Matt LaFleur was more, hey, let's scheme take care of first and second down for us. Go where the ball tells you to go. Go where the read tells you to go. Uh, third down, you go after your best matchup. Third down, go ahead. Figure out where the weakness is of the defense and attack it. But let me take some of that mental pressure off your plate on first and second down so you don't have to do it the entirety of the game. And I think that's really where Matthew Stafford has matured is that, hey, let Sean McVay worry about first down and second down. Let the run game take some of that stuff over for you. And then all you have to do is make a play in the critical moments, second down and long, second down and seven plus, third downs. You make a play in critical moments, but let us take some of that mental pressure off the plate um, of, of playing quarterback. Let us give you some easy things to do so that, that you don't have to be under duress mentally the entirety of the game. It's been a lot of fun checking you out this season, man, and uh, I'm happy for you. You know, being part of the Fox team and all that stuff. Before we let you go, by the way, just uh, let's give a shout out to the stinking good chili. Uh, you didn't ask, but I, I like you a lot. So right. just make sure we and, get a plug and, in and there. Plus, I'm, I'm playing. I'm wearing the shirt. So yeah, you know, well, reminded me a little bit. Right. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Stinkinggood.com. If you want to find out more, and uh, it has been, it's been a blast, man. My years at ESPN with you and and the rest of the crew and Van Pelt uh, were phenomenal. But uh, Love doing games. Love the excitement of every week, like taking all the stuff that I prep, throwing in the trash, and starting over again, and and trying to get a sense of what a team is, what they do well. Love talking to coaches. Love just love that kind of grind. Uh, it's a lot like playing without beating the snot out of yourself. So uh, it's it's been it's been a fun transition. Well, I hope to run into you again soon. I miss you, bud. I'll talk again. Uh, I miss you too, man. Thanks, Ryan. Take care, buddy. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Before we get to life advice, we get to get Nigerian workout updates here because I got so amped through, I felt like some high-volume frolic room attendance tweets from from nephew Kyle, there also was, was it yesterday morning? I was heading to the gym myself and I go, wait, Kyle just said, I think the tweet was, has your back ever hurt so bad that you just have to laugh? And I go, it sounds like somebody maybe did some, some movement. So what happened? You start working out? No, it's supposed to be today. Today is supposed to be the first day. Uh, he said 12 o'clock. He's just going to leave work for an hour or 45 minutes. And he said, I was like, are you sure? And he said, yeah. Uh, my back is absolutely jacked up today. So, I mean, I'm still going to go. This is the part where you're going to laugh. I got a new computer game. It's called 
uh, Mounted Blade 2 Banner Lords. My God, it's like, it's unbelievable. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm in the, uh, my computer is out in the living room on the, uh, the rolly chair that my girlfriend got when she had her um, remote work job that was like a job ago. And the chair is just awful. And I spent, I mean, over the last 72 hours, probably it says you could see on Steam, it says like 22 hours I spent on it. And so, I mean, I think it was one of those like four hour sessions and I just woke up like two mornings ago and like, I'm concerned. I'm like feeling around to see if anything's like, uh, I think that, I think there's some sort of disc problem. Um, uh, but, but, uh, Austin's going to leave his, uh, leave work for 45 minutes today. So if we can get this done in time, I'll should be there at noon. All right. Lot to, uh, address. What's the name of that game again? It's called Mountain Blade 2 Banner Lords Early Access. I mean, it's basically a beta, but when it comes out full, full fledged, it's going to be incredible. Banner Lords is yeah. an incredible addition to the title. Mm. Like I was sort of on the fence, and then it's... I love video games or movies that have just all these... Frank Zappa used to do that with albums where he would go, this is the title, or maybe it's this. I did it once in a paper when I was in high school because I just got done with the Frank Zappa book, and the teacher was like, this is it's fucking stupid. Don't title your papers, and don't give two titles. The subhead in your <laughs> Yeah, she, she had no idea what kind of creative genius she was working with, though. So she just... She was, you know, she was tempering all this. Uh, all right. So that means with a messed up back from Banner Lords, are you going to be ready for this? How are you going to deal? Dude, I don't have a choice anymore. I can't, I can't keep this going. Soon he's just going to be like, all right, well, you're not going to come. The guy's going to leave his job for me for 45 minutes, which I didn't ask him to do. And I'd actually feel better if it wasn't. So this is happening. This is happening in a couple hours. If I get out there in time. Yeah, I should. It's nine. It's nine o'clock. I should be done by 12. We should be good to go by 12 easily. Otherwise, something's went horribly wrong and I've fallen and can't get up. I don't know. You owe this guy, man. Yeah. I was because. Leaving, leaving work, I mean, obviously, I don't know what his responsibilities are. I had a lot of people ask, asking me on your behalf, Kyle, whether or not Frolic Room has covers uh, during the afternoon. I don't know. Maybe you could, you know, there's never the a cover. on that. There's never but a it cover, sounds guys. like he's just leaving in the afternoon. It sounds like it's not super popping then. So uh, so he's dedicated to you, dude. No, he is. I mean, he seems kind of excited to leave. So, I mean, maybe he's done it before. He's like, oh, it's not a big problem. So did he tell you what the like what the plan was was it back day because that would be probably a terrible one is it arm day leg day like where are you starting i saw him on saturday and i forget what we talked about i had a few brews <laughs> but uh that's where we shored up our plan for monday i forget what we talked about uh, in regards to that some guy came in that he had kicked out earlier on one of those scooters and like jumped off of it and had it roll through the bar and that's the only thing i really remember is he like chased the guy for two blocks um but that's the only thing I remember about really talking to him other than we are going to do this today. We got to go to this bar. I mean, it's, this is ridiculous. A guy came in on a scooter. And he had to be thrown out. No, he was thrown out before I got there. And then he was oh. like, I think he was like maybe a street guy or something. I think he spends oh. his days walking the streets. And um, he just was like, he was coming in full tilt on on the scooter and he jumped off of it and threw it into the bar like at, at like full tilt. And so it just like crashed. And I mean, Austin, big guy, bigger than me, out the door in a blink of an eye. And he was down the street. Um, unbelievable, unbelievable turn of events. But that's what I remember. You may have to have. Day. Honestly, I, I'm worried about your first workout because I'm afraid this guy's going to go heavy. Like mm -hmm. he's going to really. I feel yeah. like he was like, I felt like he was kind of reassuring. I don't remember his exact words. I would say them if I knew them, but he was kind of reassuring. If he tries to go really heavy with you the first day after all of this inactivity, then it's not the way. To, you need three to four weeks of movement, light weights, just getting getting the routine down. 
some bands form. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's what he said. I can't remember, but I'm pretty sure that's what he said. Something like that. Definitely didn't great. say bands, but yeah. Wednesday we come in. Kyle's like we stretch for 45 minutes. Yeah, <laughs> I would love that. It's complete. Zach, fix my best. Awesome. <laughs> uh, I love that Saruti was like awesome. I'm in. Stretching. Yeah, listen, tell me not. I'm not in for lifting. I'm not in for like the heavy, you know, back and arm set. But like, let me know if we got some bands, some court. You know, I- I'm more into cardio these days. That's all I care about. I got to get the heart rate up. OK, all right. Fair. Uh, real fair quick, enough. real quick before we move on to life advice, though, Ryan, we need yeah. to follow up on whether or not your dad actually believes he can get buckets. Is that a thing? Uh, I I think now at his age, he has conceded that he could not get a couple buckets in an NBA game. But this was a this was something that he believed in for a really long time, a lot longer than he should have. Um, we'd be watching games. So let's go back. I don't know. I, I, maybe when he's 40. So uh, it, it went on longer. I'm almost embarrassed to admit at what age he thought he could still get a couple buckets. And I'd be like, Dad, you can't. You can't. Like, yes, he's tall. He's a really good shooter. He played in college a little bit. But I'm like, you can't possibly think that you could go into a game. He'd be like, you don't think you can? And I was like, no, I don't think I can. I was like, if one of these guys decides I'm not getting a shot off, I'm not getting a shot off. Now, are you telling me random guy that played in college, who again, is not me, uh, a guy who played in college in the normal flow of a basketball game in the NBA, you know, a, a January tilt with the Wizards, although, you know, the Wizards at one point were good. I don't know who to pick, uh, you know, Rockets. Give me give me the Rockets that if you gave me four or five, if you told me I could take five to, to eight shots and not me again, someone who played in college and never had a sniff. Sure, maybe that guy gets a couple buckets. But the, the real thing is, is if someone decided in the NBA that you're not getting a shot off, you're not getting a shot off. I don't know. Most of you probably have not had access to see. When I watch some of those intense closeout stuff that they do at practices, you know, when they're warming up on the court or something, it's not like NBA teams are opening up practices to everybody. But if you see some of the defensive drills that they do, and it's like two guys come out to close out on you and you're you're towards the sideline, you know, outside the three-point line, it's horrifying. It's fucking horrifying. It's like a reminder of like, oh my God, what this would be. But no, my father and I would argue about it. And yes, he was at an age at the time where I would be like, you're out of your mind. And his his whole thing was, if you let me go out there for 30 minutes and you actually let me take some shots, he's like, I'm going to make a couple from the corner. And I'd be like, all right, whatever. Yeah, like, but what's your plus minus, dude? Come on. <laughs> his plus minus would have been terrible. Right. But that, that's the thing, though. When people say this, because I don't I actually don't think it's ridiculous. Like in the flow of a game, you play 30 minutes. You might get like an open shot or two because the team thinks you're so bad that they just don't defend you, right? But you're right. If they concentrate on you, there's absolutely no way if you're playing man defense. But the only way you're going to get a bucket in the NBA, like as a regular person, is if it's never going to be going to the hoop. It's just a, a wide open jumper because you're not going to take somebody off the dribble. You're not going to back somebody down. Even like no. somebody, even how tall is your dad? Was it six five, six six? Yeah. I mean, and look, when he was, he even can, when he was in his prime, like it's just hard. No, I, he, he, is he has this shot in the corner. And again, he's a his form is a hundred times better than mine would ever be. He's he was like nasty, but this is a ridiculous topic. And we need to just, you know, his whole thing was I am deadly from the corner, which he is. I've never seen anything like it. Who's a non, you know, like real person, but you're still Not- right. Like you're still gonna <laughs> somebody's gonna close out on you and they're gonna block your shit, and you're not like dribbling through anybody give me a break so i don't know whatever um maybe there's a lesson in there somewhere where it's a joe burrow thing my dad's basically 76 year old joe burrow here's the thing too though if all right say you're in an nba game right 
And like, you know, say this was like 10 years ago or whatever when you were like really peak Ryan basketball form. Yeah. So we got to go like 15 years. We gotta go even 15 if years. even if you feel confident or whatever and you play 30 minutes, how nervous are you going to be shooting? Like, oh, even if you get a wide open corner three, like, are you hitting rim? Like, I, I think a lot of guys underestimate. Yeah, sure. You can go to the wide. You can hit a decent percentage and you're not a decent shooter. But in an actual NBA game in an arena when there are fans, I think a lot of guys are airballing even if they're good shooters. Like, it's just it's just a different game. I think random guy in this imaginary scenario, your ass would be so tight that you, you'd be throwing it over the shot clock or, you know, five feet short. I think you're going you're Russell whole- Westbrook when he pulls up and it hits like the top left corner of the backboard. That would be every regular person. Westbrook has been destroyed <laughs> in every single corner. I, I'm almost doing a self Westbrook ban. <laughs> like I try to do Harden bans on myself and I just can't do it. Like, I just can't. It's like, I'll be like, hey, don't tweet yeah. anything about Harden for a month or something. And then I'll watch a game and I go, are you fucking kidding me? And then I send out the video and I just, I, then I'll be like, hey, don't do that for another month. It, it, I can never, I violate my own terms all the time. All right, moving on, moving on from, um, from this. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's do life advice. Uh, let's talk about a best friend's hot sister. Okay. Uh, rugby player, D1 school, just won a championship. You do the re- research, NBD. Whoa, okay, off the top rope. Uh, all right, he wants to be called Chris. He said all the names are fake. He's six foot, 200, 315, 405, 385. Good numbers. So, one of my best friends, let's call him Xander. Uh, uh, the other thing I've noticed is the guys are really taking some creative license now with the names. When you guys are changing the names ahead of time, you're really getting out there. Because uh, my favorite fake num- name ever was Pemberton Huddlestein, who's a real guy <laughs> from Vermont who played lacrosse. I mean, he's a good thing. He's, yeah, it's a good thing he's not 25 now. Imagine being named Pemberton and trying to no. be 25. Well, and I can't. Hey, what'd you do? Vermont lacrosse, white guy named Pemberton. Fucking everybody hates you. Luckily, he's older. Uh, well, I was thinking old, about the. Yeah. I always think about Benedict Cumberbatch. Like, imagine if he wasn't an actor. Like, like that dude gets made fun of all the time. Your name's Benedict Cumberbatch. Like, come on, dude. I still kind of make fun of him a little bit. And he is, yeah. you know. Uh, all right. So back to this. What'd you have? Kyle, it sounded like you had something to chime in there. I cut you off. Uh, no, I'm just I'm glad that I'm glad that people are are doing the thing. I mean, it does take a little bit of joy from you to be able to come up with a um, a name on the spot. We all kind of get a chuckle out of it. Not much more than a chuckle, but you get to read the things through uh, fluidly without having to do that uh, translation in your head. So uh, shout out to you guys for getting a better email read by changing the names yourself. All right. So rugby guy, Chris, here we go. One of my best friends is called Xander. Met our freshman year during preseason freshman camp. Uh, Xander and I are part of a group, a uh, friend group on the team. We were all extremely close, same age. We've all been to Xander's house and stayed there for weekends together multiple times. Being that it was our senior season, almost all of our friends and family traveled to our games this year to catch the last moments of our careers. Uh, this included Xander's sister, Stacy. Stacy is three years my elder and is very independent, sharp, and charismatic, not to mention very pretty. Well, uh, she would come hang out with us at bars after wins. Rugby guys just tanking beers. Love it. <laughs> Um, which there were a lot of wins. Oh, we got it. Uh, went undefeated NBD. Some are saying we could beat the Jags. This guy's funny too. Uh, we started to hang out more. Xander would continually ditch his sister Stacy, and we would hang out. Um, we started to grow some chemistry. She gets my socials. I guess that's what Instagram guys, right? Snapchat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. She gets my socials. We briefly chat maybe one or two times a week. I talked to Xander about hanging out with Stacy and he said, quote, I'll fucking kill you if you hook up with my sister. Um, I'm bigger than him, so I could take him. 
Good. <laughs> Which is what I... So no worries. I, I fucking love how Important. guys' m- minds... How our minds work. It's like, all right, I may sleep with your sister, but I could definitely kick your ass. So I'm doing the math on this. All right. Um, she also just told me, which I didn't know about, that previously Xander said she wasn't allowed to be around me because she mentioned I was hot. Whoa, forbidden love right there. All right. Um, she asked me, yesterday she asked me, quote, when are you going to come stay here again for a weekend eyeball emoji? And told me how she wished we hung out more the last time she was here, including going back to my apartment to talk more. She also added nothing scandalous would have happened. Uh, all right. She told me to keep our conversations top secret, exclamation point. Uh, no, I wouldn't do it just for the hookup. And she told me she doesn't want that either. Also, I genuinely like her and would enjoy hanging out with her. I like her. She works in education. We have similar interests and could see something happening. Question is, do I just tell him about it, even though she told me to keep it a secret, or do I just do it anyway and risk getting shanked at practice? Disclaimer, we've only hung out bars, breweries like five times, never in a date scenario, so we're still very far from being serious. Also, shout out Nephew Kyle. Drop your Venmo, and I'll throw some Mac Miller on the juke for you. Shout out Saruti, Forza Roma brother, longtime fan oh, of the nice. show, SVP and Rosillo with my oldest brother. Always loved you since I was a kid. All right. That is pretty crazy. Van Pelt and I started in 2009. So we get like guys in single digits that we're checking out the show chiming in now. So, you know, I guess there's some staying power. All right. Uh, this is not news. It's not a, I've done this. Um, uh, here's what I would say. All right. First of all, because she's the older sister, she's going to do whatever the fuck she wants. So she doesn't care what her younger brother thinks. At all. Never, not, never. All right. So she is going to do, she's going to tell you everything she wants to tell you to get you. If she's into you, she's going to tell you everything she needs to tell you to convince you to do it. Um, she's not going to care. It's just the way it is. It's this the sibling hierarchy. And I think it's even more so once the older sister is like, I don't care if I want to hook up with my younger brother's buddy. I'm going to do it. I'm the older sister. Now, um, some of us that have sisters, we have this weird phase of like, or maybe forever phase of like, no one can ever hook up with my sister. No one can ever do this. Like, this is, this is ridiculous. Um, and I, I kind of understand that as an older brother. Uh, I know that I felt that way in the past. Um, but then I remember one of my friends was like, you know, this whole older sister, you know, older brother things. Like if we all followed these rules and like, none of us would be here. Okay. And it's a good point. So, I would, I would ask you this. It sounds like you like her, all right? So if you're ever going to do this, there has to be, I think at least, he's told you not to do it. You don't want to listen to him. She's going to tell you to do it because she's not going to listen to the brother. But the only way it ever works where everybody can kind of get over it is if that it is in a kind of respectful manner. You know, and I know that sounds a little old fashioned, a little cheesy, but if you're saying you like her, you're listing all these qualities that she has. So it sounds like you're interested more than just the hookup. Um, although maybe she's going to be using you. Who knows? Um, if it's a sincere thing where you say to the brother, like, hey, I actually like your sister. I want to spend time with her. OK, so you can be as mad as you want to be. But this is happening. All right. Because I we actually like have talked and we kind of want to meet up and see how it goes. Now, the other problem with that is then it's like, what if you end up after a few months, you don't like her and then you feel like, oh, wait, like I have to stay with her now to protect the friendship because I said that I had the best intentions. And now we actually feel like we don't click whatsoever. Um, this stuff happens. But if he's, you know, your friend, if he's a total hothead and he's totally unforgiving and you really care about the friendship, then you kind of have your answer. 
if you're telling me the friendship is forever ruined, which isn't really true, forever is a really long time, but if it feels like it's never going to be the same, then then continue to be friends with your friend and don't do this. But you already know you're going to do it. She already knows you're going to do it. He seems to be the most in the dark about the whole thing. But I wouldn't lie to him. I wouldn't sneak around. I wouldn't do all these things. If you go into it saying, we're going to spend time because we like each other, then have the sister maybe work the brother from a different angle. That's probably the only way you can pull it off. That's what I was going to say. Because then you run the risk of, if they're like, hey, I know what you said. Punch me in the face if you have to. But I'm like, I mean, I'm, I like your sister. And then it turns out she might not even like you that much. She just might think you're her stupid younger brother, stupid hot friend. Like, I don't know. And that, that would be kind of a dumb reason to do that. So I would say... I would say continue to sneak around. I mean, not even really sneaking around. I would just say continue to see what's going on before you decide to be like, make this statement. Because if you guys aren't going to end up together, none of this is worth it from the confrontation of a friend thing. And then if it is worth it, maybe you guys have to slap box in the parking lot one time. And like you said, it'll probably be fine afterwards. Like, but, but I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't come come straight out with this because then she might even be turned off by that. Like, listen, I told you not to say anything. We don't even know where this is going. And you're basically you know, professing your love um, about me to him, which I wasn't even ready for. So yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like be chomping at the bit to throw all this out in the open. I would at least see if you guys are even like a, a good match other than like a fun hang at a bar. Brewery. Brewery, sorry. True. No, uh, both. We're, both were right. Everything you guys said is right. My question would be, especially from, like, I have two younger sisters. This really has never happened to me in that way. But wouldn't you want it, wouldn't you want your sister and now maybe this guy thinks that his friend is just fucking around and like he's going to, you know, he just wants to hook up with her to like, you know, put the notch on his belt and say, oh, I hook up with your sister and hold this over you. Maybe that's him. And maybe he's a douche. Doesn't sound like it from his email. Think so. but no, it, no, it's a good point, though, because maybe the guy's leaving out of the email like I've slept with twelve hundred girls. Yeah. And, you know, but, you know, if you're a friend, a psychopath, wouldn't you want like a friend that you like that you genuinely think is a good dude to date your sister? Like, you know, I'm sure you've she's brought home guys and you're like fuck this guy sucks and you know whatever but you just didn't know him so you weren't friends so you couldn't just say no and say and threaten to kick his ass so i don't know like that that's where I, maybe this guy's just like nobody could date my sister but i think it's kind of dumb because if he's a good guy and he has good intentions i think you kind of want him to date his sister the thing that i was a little concerned about is it sounds like what kyle kind of brought this up it sounds like she's kind of interested in just hooking up with her you know her brother's younger friend who might be hot and probably you know plays rugby and is, is a little unclear at best yeah it's unclear at best that uh, that's kind of the vibe I got. And if that's the case, then I don't think you owe your friend. I mean, listen, you should go in with good intentions. But if she wants to hook up with you and hang out with you, I'd keep it a secret and go for it. It depends on how hot she is. If she's that hot, then he's going to do it because those that's just what happens. That's it. If he was like, ah, eh, maybe I can do a little better then he's not going to he's not going to care. Um, clearly, he likes her enough. And, you know, I mean, that's pretty much. Every time it's like, oh, don't hook up with this person or, oh, you know, you shouldn't hook up with your roommate. Guys will, those rules change immediately based on the scale. It's like, well, I'll probably never, never have the opportunity <laughs> for this level again. So I'm throwing out every fucking rule that yep. I said that I was going to subscribe to. Um, Can I just say, uh, as an older brother, having a lesbian younger sister, I mean... I just sleep well at night and I never have to worry. <laughs> I never have to worry about one of my shithead friends, you know, uh, ever doing something wrong or, or, you know, I just, it's never our path. Those paths will never cross. So love you. Al. You have like a really hot cousin, right? Saruti that everybody used to oh ask about. <laughs> <laughs> Pass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck my back. <laughs> 
<laughs> Wait. <laughs> you all right? Oh, God, I'm in so much pain, guys. Kyle, was that just a double sneeze back spasm? Uh, uh, coughing and sneezing, those are like one of my two most uh, most done actions, and it's just been an absolute splintering Wait, pain. If sneezing and coughing, uh, you're not going to be able to work out today. Th- this is not going to work. Guys, I, I, I go. cannot. Guys, I got to go. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> the pain that was just in your eyes after you sneezed. If I'm leaning I don't, forward, I don't it doesn't know, hurt. Man. But if Unless I'm you're going to shoot some painkillers, which I would not recommend. Although I'm sure your friend, yeah, it sounds like he. If I'm in the front, he might come around. Yeah. What's trying to say about his friend? <laughs> no, like he just, I don't know. Like he was just like, yeah, come to this place, you know, we'll do our workout or whatever. I don't know. He was just like, you know, interesting character. But don't tell me anything that happens until the podcast on Wednesday, Kyle. Don't text anything to the thread. Okay. I don't want to know anything. And I cannot wait until 48 hours from now. I was going to be in the hospital for two days and we won't know about it. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) You just you just almost fell off of your chair in severe, like stabbing pain, sneezing and coughing. And you're going to go work out for the first time in how many years? I don't know. I mean, whenever the mass, like I said, is probably a year plus, maybe a year. I did I, when when my back first hurt. I walked five miles, went to a park, and like hung from a bar for a little while. But that didn't really stretch me out like I was hoping it would. So took a long walk. Okay, let's get to the next one. Five ten, one sixty five. Not particularly strong guy. More into biking and climbing. Hey, have you guys seen the Alpinist? This one's long, so bear with me. Uh, this actually one isn't that long in comparison. Some of you guys, like, hey, we got shit to do, guys. Thanks for your book submission. But uh, all right, some background. First year analyst at a boutique strategy consulting firm in the Northeast. All right, I like where this one's going. It's my first job out of college. I don't really want to screw it up, but I think my manager is messing with me. I'm wondering if this is the norm for new hires or just a him thing. My project manager hasn't done anything particularly bad or malicious towards me. He's just really weird. I know he's messing with me. For context, this guy is brilliant. Whatever he, uh, whenever he's giving me feedback, he's usually pretty fair and honest. It's just that he does these weird little things that I know for a fact are to mess with me. For starters, almost every day he approaches me and we talk a bit about what I'm working on. I give him a progress update, but he always asks me if I've seen a random scene from Curb Your Enthusiasm. Each day, without fail, he'll say something like, quote, by the way, have you seen that scene from Curb? The, <laughs> have you seen that scene from Curb Your Enthusiasm? Where dot, dot, dot. Every day... It's a different scene, and every day I tell him I haven't because I don't watch Curb Your Enthusiasm. I've tried calling him out on this, but whenever I do, he just says, oh, I forgot, and I don't want to be a troublemaker, and honestly, it's not a big deal. It's just really weird. Another thing he does is he refers to me as Analyst Kyle. He knows my real name. By the way, that's not the guy's name. It's not even close. (laughs) He knows my real name and will address me by my real name in emails, but whenever we're around our client, he tells me, Analyst Kyle, or he'll call me analyst Kyle. I've asked him why he does it. And he told me it's that he wants to surprise the client at the end of the project as a parting gift. The client knows my name is not Kyle. So I'm unsure why he keeps doing this. He also, for whatever reason, pretends to not know Excel. He will look at my laptop <laughs> screen while I'm on Excel. He'll ask me what the program I'm using is. The first few times I just laughed it off, but he keeps asking me. I know he's bullshitting me because he's seen me um, he has sent me, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know he's bullshitting me because he has sent me Excel documents before and I've seen him use Excel on multiple occasions. Finally, and this is the most annoying thing. He will without fail every dot single dot Friday dot approach me around when I get my lunch and ask me if it's pizza pie Friday. 
He does this because my first ever Friday on the project, I had a slice of pizza for lunch. Oh, he, for guy. whatever reason, assumed that I, you're going to Andy over here, tuna, big tuna. <laughs> big tuna, bro. What's up, yeah. tunes? <laughs> for whatever reason, he assumed that I eat pizza every lunch on every Friday. Uh, <laughs> I've not eaten pizza for lunch since. I know that this shouldn't annoy me as much as it has, but last week I deliberately avoided him before lunch on Friday, so he couldn't ask me. And I got an email from him at 1.30 asking if it was Pizza Pie Friday. He tried to avoid him, and he still sent up a follow-up email. Is this normal? No. I've been doing consulting for about three months now and I'm beginning to question my sanity. This is amazing. Hey, is it Pizza Pie Friday? <laughs> All right. I don't know. So... The curb thing is weird. The pizza thing is really weird. The Kyle thing is just stupid. And then the Excel thing doesn't make a ton of sense. So we put it just all together without judging. I mean, you could have somebody who's, you know, really, really good at some things and then socially they're not. So, I, so maybe that's what you're talking I'm sure you could ask another coworker and be like, hey, mm -hmm. what's the deal with this guy? Like, is this part of the deal? Um, and I will tell you firsthand, and Saruti's going to know exactly who I'm talking about. We worked with somebody who, it wasn't this, but this person would come into a room, would make a joke. It was literally never funny. And in the beginning, you kind of fake laugh. And then after a while, tables had started to turn a little bit, <laughs> let's just say. And it turned into, I'm going to fucking have you come in here Make your bad joke where you're always making fun of somebody and we're all going to stare at you and let you know it wasn't funny again. And then you're going to leave the room and awkward. It was impossible to be as awkward as this person was on entering a room every single time they entered the room. They'd come in. We'd all know what was going to happen. He's going to come in. He's going to make fun of somebody, the shirt, something this or that or whatever. And then he's going to stare awkwardly and we're going to stare back at him. And then it's all going to be over. And those three minutes are gone. And we had to deal with it all the time. And I think eventually, I don't know if the guy ever figured it out because it, it, just, it just went on and on and on. And that was like the only way to deal with it. Uh, you got to ask some of the coworkers because this isn't, it's clear like none of it's fixable. You know, he doesn't realize like however he's getting off on these little things and it's his company, you're telling me. So Oh, he's a project manager. I guess it's, so it's not his company. You just have to ask the other people, just find another fucking job because this stuff will add up. You will, even though all of it's collectively harmless or individually harmless at this point, it's only been three months. The fact that you're writing the email and everything, like you're probably going to get so annoyed with this. So you're going to have to move on because this is really just dumb shit. Yeah, uh, I think I think a I mean, I worked shout out to Jim Cunningham, Jim Cunningham. He thinks I've seen every episode of like the 30 years of the Simpsons. And he would just constantly be like, oh, remember that one in the Simpsons where uh, Tom Hanks came on or something? I was like, I, I mean, I would lie all the time because I have seen a lot of them. But I like after a while, I was just like, because if I say no, he's going to give me the whole episode. So, I, I, you know, I that's that's not so crazy to me. Um, and then. Yeah, the, the weird, the big tuna pizza pie thing, that's kind of strange. I think maybe the guy doesn't want to have to do any Excel sheets, so I think maybe he's just priming you to never have to make any spreadsheets, possibly. And also, I think maybe after you're there for a while, you're, you'll have enough equity or 
I don't know, whatever the word would be to be able Tolerance? to call, to be able to call him out oh. on some of the stuff without feeling like, oh yeah, I'm going to get axed here. I think you might be able to just be like, hey man, like, I don't know, there might be a way to start razzing him back. Or I think you just can't do that as like a three month rookie, but maybe, maybe if you stick with it a little while and learn how to deal with all this weird shit. Wait, wait razzing him. So what do you do? You tell him like, hey, did you see that? Did you see the new episode of Emily in Paris? Yeah, pick and a show. Can, Below can you help me use word? <laughs> just go right back at him. Yeah, or yeah, or you could just be like, dude, What's I know you know. Death? No, I'm just saying, pick a show. I mean, there's nothing wrong with Kirby either. Just pick a show you know he's not watching, and then just you know, like it's like that one time when fucking Parker wasn't going to listen to Captain Glenn or whatever, and you know, whatever. I just, I Glenn would make a bad captain. <laughs> captain Lee. No, I think it was Parker with Glenn. It was uh, sailing out. Oh, oh, Glenn. Yeah, yeah, Captain that's Glenn. A different captain. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't get his, into that one. But I, I just think the longer you're there, the, the better you'll feel about either calling him out or calling him out in a jokey way that you know isn't going to be offensive or, you know, just doing doing something back to him if, if that'll help you sleep at night. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's a huge deal. I think you can rationalize most of this stuff. And if you stay long enough, you might be able to fire back a little bit in a way that you feel good about. <laughs> I don't know. We sure he's not fucking with him. Like, we're sure about that. He probably is in some of it, and he's probably weird. For I don't think he months. is. I, I think it's one of those guys that socially is like sort of just doesn't get it and is kind of detached a little bit, and they think that this is their way of being social, thinking they're making jokes and doing yeah. whatever. It's just not, it's just, you know, it's not. Here's the problem. It, depending on who you are, like some people can roll with it. Some people can go. It doesn't sound like our emailer here is going to be like long-term by itself. Hey, is it Pizza Pie Friday? That doesn't seem like it means anything. It's totally harmless. Try it for a year. Try for a year being asked as a pizza pie Friday, every Friday. Like you're going to end up hating the job because of something as dumb as that. So go ahead, Saruti. And no, it's just like, you know, you know, when you like meet somebody and then you latch on to like the one or two things that you know, and every time you see them, you bring that up. But usually that's over like, if I don't see someone for a month, it's like, oh, I know you're like a Steelers fan. Oh, yeah, Steelers, Big Ben retired. You, know, you just bring shit, you bring the same shit up. This guy does that, but every single day. I mean, you're right. At, at some point, that guy can't be your boss long term because you're going to lose your mind. You're going to blow up at him. Your productivity is going to go down because you're just going to be so annoyed by how stupid and like the amount of conversations that are pointless with this guy. Um, and to your other point, Ryan, I've always said this. It's so important. And I could tell so much about a person based on how they are just able to come into a room with a bunch of people and just not be awkward. And, you know, during different studios, like we'd have people come in the studio, different PAs, different people from TV, different whatever. And I, you kind of be able to tell like within the first 30 seconds or the couple first couple words out of their mouth, like what their first question is or what they're in is and whether or not they just have it or not, whether or not they're just like a good hang or not, whether or not they're just like a dude or not. And it sounds like this guy's just not a dude. If he's not fucking with you, it just sounds like he's probably has some, you know, I don't know if it's social anxiety or just doesn't have a ton of friends or whatever, but he's just, he's probably just not a great hang and he's trying really hard to connect with you, but it's never going to work. And you got to figure out with other, whether it's other coworkers or if you could transfer different managers because your productivity in the long term is going to suffer because of it. Wow. I think it's totally fine. I'm surprised at you guys. No. You ride this it, out, Kyle. Benefits. Totally. Parking. Totally. I'd just be like, hey, what's up with fucking pizza pie guy? Like, what do you, what's your name or something? Like, I, I think it would be fine, honestly. I mean, how often is he really like in your business? I mean, what do you have to meet with him about what you have to do and then you do it? And I don't know. And they might even like you might even be the nicest one out of everyone else to him. And that might help you in the long run just by sheer tolerance of him, because there's so many people that maybe don't possess that quality. Who knows? I think you would fine. just get 
You would, why would you handle the 17th time you were asked if it was Pizza Pie Friday? Like, I'll let you know after lunch. I don't know. I'd come up with weird things to uh, to say back, I guess. I don't know. I think it'd be fine. I've had managers that are like, don't get me at all and whatever. So I, I don't know. I don't know. Unless this guy is like continuously promoting you or like is giving you But it's you three months. That, Who knows what's going to happen, right? I, I, I don't. What I the just, fuck? It's just, not, it's just not worth it. It's just oh, not worth it. I don't know. Saruti, classical millennials, like a three months. Where's my promotion? No, I'm just, I'm just saying, like, unless there's, <laughs> he's, he's gonna make me miserable. So if I'm not getting anything out of it at my job, then I don't want to be a part of it. I mean, you're three months in, dude. You can get another job. It's not that big. Yeah. It's not like you've invested a ton in this particular career or this. I know my company. worth. Yeah, I know I'm, my shocked. Worth. yeah. I'm shocked. I'm uh, shocked. I, I think this guy is like the guy that wrote the email. He's smart and there's just going to be these little things. Like, I think there's a lot of people listening that would find it maddening. Like you told me you don't know how to use Excel. You've sent me Excel (laughs) attachments and emails and you keep telling me you don't know how to use it. Like that's, that's crazy. Some people would roll with it. Some people are better (gasps) at being employees. Oh my God. Kyle just sneezed again. It looked like he had a heart attack. (laughs) All right, let's wrap up the podcast here because I don't know if he's going to make it. He still has work to do today too. (sighs) Yeah, really quickly, really quickly though, the question would be like, I've always thought about this. If you, if there was like a real life situation where you were in the office and your boss was a Michael Scott type, you'd be miserable. That would be so fucking miserable. It would be terrible. Like yeah. it's funny in the show oh, and Jim's would- great and all that, but that's what this is. Like you would be miserable. But he didn't say the guy's bad at his job. Like Michael was really bad at his job and like stuff wasn't to get done. It was a miracle. The branch wasn't closed, especially with all the other branches. So, you know. I think I think that's just if there was a Michael Scott, like he wouldn't make it, right? I mean, uh, I don't know, guys. The, the yeah. branch, the branch did numbers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but do numbers. He wasn't like doing like he wasn't rolling out the initiatives. He wasn't doing any of the stuff. I don't know. <laughs> On movie Movie Monday, he never like, had plans. How does, how, the budget for parties increase, was off the chart. How does it increase productivity? Because they have to work even harder for all the time. <laughs> they miss. <laughs> Come on, after that, he's gone. Unbelievable. You know what I always thought was the genius of the Michael Scott character is that he was all the things you just said. Bad hang, would never want to hang out with him. You know, the jokes aren't good. Social cues, all the awkwardness. But they would have moments where they'd have somebody else be worse and Michael would almost be cool around them. Where Michael would be aware in that moment, be like, this guy sucks. And it was almost like Michael's cool tier wasn't at the bottom. There were steps below him. And they would share that with you every now and then. And that was talking the office. Let's stop talking. Yeah. Let's end the podcast. Let's let Kyle try to get two hours of, of movement in him. And so that we can find out in 48 hours how the back workout went or just any workout. It's probably not going to be back. I would hope not today. All right. Thanks to Kyle, Steve. Please subscribe. Ringer, Spotify, Rhyme Solo Podcast. Talk to you Wednesday. Wednesday.